I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. And how many have enjoyed this series on fighting FOMO? You know, we've, we get trapped sometimes in this comparison trap. Social media hasn't helped. And so we've been talking about how to fight back. If you remember, we started with don't eat the fruit, which, by the way, doesn't mean we shouldn't actually eat fruit. I was just tied up a message. If I was going to do it like that, I would have said don't eat the vegetables. But we talked about how FOMO corrupts what God creates and how God turns our FOMOs into JOMOs. Now, you know what? We're not really missing out on anything this world has to offer, so we should actually have joy on missing out on some things. Because the temptation, you remember we talked about Adam and Eve. See, I'm quizzing you now. You, get, you done got quiet. You, you got to go back and listen to these messages. The temptation wasn't about the tree. It was about timing. It was about trying to, to, to seize that in which most likely in due time, God would have given them. But they tried to seize it through disobedience. And you can't just seize in seconds what God intends to sanctify through seasons. Oh, I, I see. I can go back and preach that one again. I, maybe it didn't take. I, I should do that one again. Then, we, then the next week, we talked about, this is why you shouldn't miss a Sunday. We talked about how we shouldn't play the fool. You remember we played some songs, some good old 70s. We just skipped the 80s. And how we're called to live in the present by the standard, though, of the future. And the one holding that standard. Because the truth of what's in our hearts will be revealed by what we heed. See, I'm... I, it's y'all, y'all remember this? I mean, you were here. Right? Then last week, we talked about don't drink the Kool-Aid. Some of the, the greatest prison that some of us live in is this disease to, to please, this fear of what other people think. And we're imprisoned by it sometimes. Imprisoned by what other people think of us. Even though we're called to live a holy and, and godly life. But normal ain't godly. Normal's not godly, is it? So you're going to stand out a little bit. And everybody, everybody talks about, remember we talked about this, how tired we are. Really, we're not really tired. We're sad. We're not really tired. We're depressed. We're not really tired. We're carrying burdens that we have no business carrying on our own. And the world's answer is, well, you just need some me time. You just need some you time, which isn't going to do nothing, but you're just going to sit there in the hot tub and seep in your mess. The time for yourself will never renew you like time for and with Jesus. That's a different kind of tired, isn't it? That's the kind of tired you walk away feeling fulfilled and renewed. That we should, we should live to please him who died to save you. You should live to please him who died to save you. We've been given a better cup. He's the bread of life. He's the cup of salvation. He's the, he, he is the cup that never runs dry. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You don't need me time. You need Jesus time. Jesus said, I'm the well that will never run dry. If you're thirsty, come to me. And that, last week was supposed to be the end of the series. But the Holy Spirit gave me one more message. So I don't, 
You cheering now. I want to encourage you today. I didn't come to step on your toes. I, I feel like this is a word to encourage you, to build you up. I mean, I hope every word does that. But I know some of you feel like I'm dancing on your feet every week. Listen, the Holy Spirit dancing on my feet too. How many know that when you, just in case you didn't know, most of the time when the Lord gives the preacher a word, he has to deal with him first. By the time I get here, see, he done run me through the mill. Misery loves company, so I'm just sharing it. Thus saith the Lord, somebody join me, why don't you? Get in here, let's wrestle with the Holy Ghost. I can't be the only one that needs them this much. So we, we come to today's message, and today, the last one, don't play to lose. Don't play to lose. Let's just read a few verses here. In Proverbs 21, verse 29. Proverbs 21, verse 29. It says, the wicked put up a bold front. How many you know they're fronting? How many know the enemy has got nothing left but fronting? Just show. But the upright give thought to their ways. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in the Lord. Put your hand on your word, on your heart. Lord, we pray right now, the reading of your word, that you would help us today. Grab a hold of, of this in some relevatory way. That God, I believe you placed and dropped this word in my heart for somebody. So I pray now that every distraction, every stronghold that's trying to lift itself up will be torn down. And that you would enter in the thoughts and imagination of every listener. That the power of your preached word and the foolishness therein will somehow still speak life and do its powerful work inside the heart and mind of everyone in this place. I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know what happened. I really don't. I don't know how it happened. Jersey and I sit down to play just a little game of chess. Just a little game of chess. And in just a few moves, about three moves in, he glares at me like with a look that would scare a gladiator. He look, I'm like, where'd my kid go? He's looking at me with these intense eyes as he slides his little chess piece into place and snidely, you know, with that air of like, why are you wasting my time kind of tone, you know? <laughs> Declares in my face, checkmate. My second born. My 12-year-old. He ain't 22, 42, he's 12. <laughs> Took me out without prejudice. No regard to my feelings. I am feeling older. He didn't care. No hesitancy. Checkmate. The game was over. Now, he didn't do that to the board, but that's how I felt. And I was, I resisted defeat. I resisted it. I was dumbfounded. I'm studying that board like it is open heart surgery. I am like, no, there's gotta be a move. He didn't just get me in three moves. There's gotta, no, there's something. I was studying that thing. I would not, I would not surrender. About five long minutes later, I realized he was right. My kid bested. By a 12-year-old. 
I said, you're grounded. <laughs> Go to your room. Not really. I looked over that and I thought, wow. I was, I was trapped, see. You know, you know anything about chess, you're going after the, after the king. I was trapped. I was trapped by my own decisions as well as his well-timed moves against me. Then it was checkmate. Checkmate. How many know life can be that way sometimes? Sometimes we can do everything right. There are times when we can do everything right. We do the right thing. We say the right thing. We are doing the right thing, taking the high road, doing the ethical thing, and still get handed defeat, still get jabbed, still get hurt, even when we try to do everything right. Sometimes we do everything wrong. Now, we're, we're not so surprised when everything falls apart. But sometimes we just break bad, don't we? We make a bad decision. We, we make a terrible mistake. And then it results in hitting rock bottom that we should have saw coming, but we ignored it. And then sometimes, sometimes we just go through hardships and it ain't nobody's fault. You didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. You're just, you're just dealing with life. You're just walking through loss or, or grief or, or setbacks, things beyond and outside of anybody's real control. But nevertheless, no matter if, if you did everything right, or you did everything wrong, or, or it wasn't any of that. It was just life happening. Sometimes you... It can leave you, life can leave you feeling pinned down, feeling that stress and anxiety. I mean, I was sweating over there playing him in every game since. Stressed, filled with anxiety because anybody's ever been there in life like chess, there is, there is nothing like feeling like you've got no more moves left. There's nothing, there's nothing like that feeling of hopelessness that somehow the situation, the circumstance has dealt you checkmate. It must have been something of, of what inspired Moritz Wretch's painting, Checkmate. I got, a, I think, a copy of it that we could throw up on the screen. We have that. Yeah. Very old painting called Checkmate. This is the young man. And he is, he is trying to play against the devil. And that's the devil over there with the feather in his cap. See, he's just snide. Snide people wear feathers in their caps. <laughs> and in the in wretch's painting, the you know, the young man is pinned down. That's why it's called. He's tried to duke it out with the enemy, and now he has lived to regret it. He is pinned down. The enemy has him in checkmate. And a copy of this, very famous print, a copy of this hung in the home of R.R. R. Harrison. Now, he was an attorney turned minister. And he had a copy of this painting in his house. Not unheard of, but this is in the mid-1800s. And so one day, Reverend Harris had friends over for dinner. And one of those friends in Richmond, Virginia, was Paul Morphy, who happened to be an expert chess player. And as detailed in the 1988 fall edition of the Columbia Chess Chronicle, it's riveting stuff. Morphe, it is said that he was studying the painting all night over dinner. And then after dinner, he's standing in front of it until he finally 
modestly, the reverend said, but confidently said, I don't believe the young man's game is over. And they said, what are you talking about? Of course it is. And he said, no, no, the king has one more move. And sure enough, they got the chessboard out. They set the pieces like they believe it to be in the painting. And they played it through. And Morphe, what would later be named Morphe's antidote, beat the devil. Now, how many times has life struggles just backed us down till we said, I've done all I can do? You know, when you feel like you got no moves left, then the way the game works is when it's over, you, you knock your kingdom. And how many times have we done that? How many times in situations and circumstances and relationships have we said, I can't, there's nothing else I can do? Nothing else I can do. How many times have we, we've heard it? How many times has the doctor walked in the room and said, there's nothing else I can do? How many times has the, the banker sat up in his chair and said, look, there's nothing else I can do? How many times has the therapist and the counselors looked at us and said, listen, there's, there's nothing else I can do for you? How many times have those closest to you walked away murmuring, I've done all I can do? I've done all I can do. But see, with God, you'll never hear him say, I've done all I can do. You'll never hear God say, I've done all I can do because God has never done all he can do. See, that's the truth right there. God has never done all that he can do. There is no limit to what he can do. There's no checkmating God. The king has always got one more move. He's always got another move. He's always got another play. We read it, no wisdom, no insight, no plan can succeed against the Lord. Hey, Victory, it says, is God's. Now, the wicked still try to front, try to arrange the board in such a way where it might look like it's lost. Look like you should just go ahead and tip the king over. It's over. Wants you to give in. And every time I look back over his word, look back over my life, I can see where, yeah, there was God on, uh, on a numerous of occasions has, has pulled out a move that I didn't see coming. Anybody else got that kind of testimony? And then when you read your Bible, you read your Bible. I started reading through the Bible. This is where this, is where this word just kind of came up and out. I don't even know if this is a proper sermon. But I just, you know, you start reading all the powerful stories and, and truths in God's word, and you just kind of make your way through it, and you go, wow, his mighty acts over and over and over again, you can see how he's always got another move. That people feel pinned down and trapped, and there's no way out, and God provides a way. We read it. We read it in, we read it in, in the word like in Daniel. Let's talk about him for a minute. We see it in Daniel's life. He's a prophet, the Bible. Now, you want to talk about how sometimes you can do everything right and you still get jabbed. You do everything right and you still suffer. Nobody's story can match Daniel's in that regard. You want to talk about fearing God and not men. Daniel feared God and not men. He was, he was dialed in, and he, he, still, he still found himself being attacked and oppressed and pushed up against. But you know, in Daniel chapter 6, you, you read about that famous story about when he was thrown into the lion's den. But 
One of the most powerful phrases in that story we we read in in chapter 6, we read in verse 16 and verse 20. It's when King Darius, that's the king who's in charge and who's been kind of manipulated to create some laws that would then, he would have to then enforce, which the end game would be he'd have to punish Daniel, whom he actually respected and, and liked. But he, he got trapped. See, he got pinned down. And so Daniel, King Darius, says twice, you read the phrase. You can read it there. It says, and the king spoke of Daniel this way, how he continually served his God. Continually serving his God. But in the original text, what's interesting about that phrase is it's not a phrase. It's just one word. That phrase has been interpreted, this one word has been interpreted to mean continually serving his God. But in the original, that's just one word. And what's also unique is that it's the only place in Scripture where that word is used. It's only used twice, and it's used right there in chapter 6, in verse 16, and in verse 20. And what it literally means... What it literally means is almost like one of those idioms again. It means to move in and to make your home with. In other words, Daniel abided in his God. He just lived there. He wasn't living in that time and space. So he wasn't going to go along with the the standards of that present moment. He knew with whom he had moved in with and made his home with. And he was okay with whatever consequences were going to come with that abiding. Even if that meant being thrown into a den of lions. But see, when you're thrown into a den of lions, the king has got one more move. He ends up down in that pit. And if there's one thing we can learn, it's this, is that fearless faithfulness will develop into limitless fruitfulness. He feared God more than anyone or anything else. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against God. Once you become fearless, and trust his word, life then, and the things that can happen in it become limitless. Now, maybe this morning you just need to check your dress. Where do you abide? Because if you're abiding in God and you trust and set yourself up in that standard, live in a way in which heaven is already here and Jesus is already running the show, then you just might actually see God do miracles in your life. Even when I did everything right, that's all right. Stay fearless and faithful. There is no limit. You can't outmaneuver God. You're on the winning team as a believer. Why would you run plays that the world offers? Why, why? Why fight and, and try to journey through life the way the world does it? Take a look around. It ain't working. It's not working. And every time Daniel and those Hebrew boys, by the way, that are also in the book of Daniel, every time they were put to the test, they came out looking and smelling better than the rest of those jokers. Because fearless faithfulness develops into limitless fruitfulness. Sometimes, though, it's not about how we did everything right. Sometimes we break bad. We mess up. We go on the run. We, we disobey. We, we, we talk ourselves into thinking that God's in whatever it is we're doing when nothing could be the opposite, more the opposite. We see that when we look. I kept reading, and I started reading the book of Jonah. 
I mean, you look at that guy. You're talking about on the run. You talk about doing everything wrong. God clearly spoke to him, told him what he was supposed to do, and he disobeys. He's your classic case of somebody running away from God. And sometimes we do that. We, we're running away from that still small voice that's speaking to us, leading us, guiding us, trying to nudge us in the right direction. But we're still making the choices that might lead us to destruction. And then when destruction happens, and it seems like our whole life, just like Jonah, it just seems like everything now is just swallowed up in darkness. And we get swallowed up by the, the sum of our mistakes. But even when your life seems like it's been swallowed up, God's not done. He's not, he wasn't done with Jonah. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what was going on. He knows who you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're going through. Life wasn't burying him. God was trying to preserve him. He swallowed up. It looks like he swallowed up in darkness. But really, the king is playing another move. And so, I think we can, we can learn something. Because listen, listen to me. I don't know why we do this, but we do. You know what I'm saying when I say, don't cling to mistakes just because you spent so much time making them. How often do we cling to our mistakes and our failures because, well, we spend a lot of time on it. We took our time easing into that dark place. We, we, listen, there's not, listen, I've got, I made my bed. I gotta, I've gotta lay in it. See, that's that kind of thinking. This is not a momentary kind of mistake. No, I, I made that mistake for a long time. I, I waited out in that darkness a long time. So it's too late for me. I'm missing too many pieces on the board now. I got no moves less. And you may feel like your life is just nothing but one mistake after another, after another, after another, after another. And at this point, you feel like you just have to live in it. But friend, can I tell you something that we see here in Jonah's life? That this story is not about some big fish. This is not a story about big mistakes or big sins. It's the story about a big God who loves you in a big time kind of way. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter how much Jonah fought really hard to hang on to his mistake and his disobedience. But God's love for him was bigger. And not only that, his love for Nineveh, where God was sending him, was so big too that he even loved Jonah's enemies. But it took a while. How many know some of us change by seeing the light and some of us change by feeling the heat? Anybody got that kind of testimony? Well, he feeling the heat. See, God-sized perspectives develop into God-sized successes. When, 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 when we learn and grow and elevate our perspective, listen, you, when there ain't nothing left but a whale's a uh, big fish's guts, you know, all around you, that's a good moment to try to get close to God. That, that's a good... God's confronting him. And maybe God's confronting you about some things. But listen, if he's confronting you, it's because he loves you. He's trying to correct you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to restore you. Maybe you're not being buried. Maybe you're being planted. See, it's what's behind your eyes that's more powerful than what's in front of them. What's going on back here and in here? Stop looking at the board. You can't live a 
fulfilling, God-honoring, positive life with a negative mind. Well, I just, I've made all the mistakes. I'm just going to cling to my mistakes because I've made so many. Go back and listen to Don't Play the Fool. Don't, don't, don't believe that lie. God has a view of your situation. I know from where you sit, it looks like this is, you, you, from your perspective, you see the board and it looks like you ain't got no more moves left. But God has a different perspective and he's always got another move. He's he's always has, the king always has one more move. And you start taking a God-sized view of things and letting that grace and mercy and forgiveness and new direction take hold of your life, you'll start playing the game a little differently. The enemy's not going to like that. Some of your so-called friends aren't going to like that. Listen, listen, for these kind of people, for for people with a God-sized perspective of things and who who start to see God-sized type of successes. I mean, Jonah went on and revival hit Nineveh and and they all got saved. But he had to take a God-sized perspective of the situation to get a God-sized kind of success from that situation. And it didn't matter how many mistakes he made in between. Isn't that wonderful? But see, not everybody's going to be on board with you. Some people are going to think you're too much. You start walking around and living with that God-sized type of perspective in your life, and some people are going to be like, you're just a little too much, and they're going to try to get you to come down to their Listen, friend, those ain't your people. Those aren't your people. All right? Don't, don't, don't fly with buzzards. You, you know what a group of buzzards are called, right? A committee. <laughs> don't, don't fly with them. Don't fly with crows. You know what a group of crows are called? A murder. There's your sign. Don't, don't fly. Don't fly. And look, and then, and then you got those who, who want to, who just want you to front like they front. Just hypocrites and fakers all the same. There's a, they're just shiny on the outside, falling apart. They're like, that's like a group of flamingos. You know what a group of flamingos are called? A flamboyance. Oh, yeah, that might look pretty up top, but they ain't got no meat on them legs. They ain't going to hold up under pressure. They ain't going to hold up under anything of any real weight or consequence. No, what you want to do is, this ain't in my notes. I don't know where I'm going with this. What you want to do is find you some rhinos. See, I like rhinos. They got armor. They thick. They thick. You ain't going to push around a rhino. They got offense and defense. And did you know they can run 20, 20, 25, 30 miles per hour? Them jokers are fast. But here's the thing. They're nearly blind. They can't hardly see. Which means a group of rhinos, you want to know what they're called? A crash. A crash. And you know, that's the kind of people I want to run with. Hey, we're just taking the next step. We're just trying to go the next 10 feet. And I want to go as fast and as hard as God will allow. And if an obstacle gets in our way, I say, let's just crash through it. It better move or it's going to get damaged. And not everybody's going to appreciate your God-sized perspective of how you live your life and what you do with your time and your stuff and how you organize and live within your family. Not everybody is going to agree with how you live your life, but that's okay. You take a God-sized perspective on things and you're going to get God-sized kind of successes on things. You just hang in there. And it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. Oh, you throw yourself on the mercy seat. So forgive me, God, and help me get back on track. Listen, I, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. 
Because you're like, no, but seriously, Pastor, I've done some things. I've hurt some people. Now, I know, look, I know you can't always put the toothpaste back in the tube. I know that. You can't always go back and make a brand new start, but you can start right where you are and make a brand new ending. There's time. He's always got one more move. And when God says no, no, don't, don't go there, go here. Don't move the, that space, move into this space. And even though that space, it looked right, felt right, and you wanted to take that direction on the board. And God says, no, I want you to go this way. That's not, when God says no, that's not rejection, that's redirection. He's trying to, he's lovingly trying to help you. And he had to swallow up Jonah, swim him around in the first ever biological submarine and spit him up on course of where he's supposed to be. Now, some of us hard heads, that's what he does with us, isn't it? But we don't have, we don't have to always take that route. We don't have to go through all that stuff. And let me tell you something else. Not all the storms that come into your life are meant to disrupt your life. Some storms are coming through the clear path. God's setting things up. He's setting up the board. He's, set, he's setting you up. And that's when you draw real close. Sometimes we can do everything right and still find ourselves pinned down. Sometimes we can do everything wrong and find ourselves pinned down. And then sometimes we can suffer great pain, loss, major setbacks. We suffer. We see this in the life of Job. We look at that dude's life and look at all of which he had to live through, go through. I mean, he lost all of his possession, his home, his access, everything. He, he lost everything. And if that wasn't enough, he lost his family. He lost all of his family and all of his children. The death and the overwhelming grief would have been enough to shut me down forever. And then he, and then he suffered in his health, inflicted in his body to the point that he's, he is beginning now to lose his will to live. Friend, nothing, nothing is more horrible than feeling like you're being closed in on all sides. And that's when the enemy wants to come in and whisper, checkmate. Checkmate. Now, even in the battlefield of, the, of your heart and mind, though, friends, even in the battlefield that's going on up here, the king has one more move. The two most powerful words, I think, in the whole book of Job. You can go read it. Not right now. It's 46 chapters. 42, I'm sorry. 42 chapters. But we get all the way to the chapter 42 and down at verse 16. I think the two most powerful words out of the whole book, after everything, after all of that, after everything that happened, two most powerful words in the whole book of Job. After this, verse 16, after this. Listen, somebody needs to hear this this morning. There is an after this. Don't put a period where God intends to put a comma. After this. See, God can, can put into your story and after this. After all that he went through, after all that Job went through, even people who don't go to church know what you're talking about when you talk about Job. Now, if they start talking about reading the book of Job, you know. They need witnessing. They need to get them in church. And anybody and everybody's heard the story of Job. And anybody who's been through something like that should have been long buried and put an end to that misery. 
But right there at the very end, or what looks like the end of the book, it might be the end of the book, but it ain't the end of Job. Because there was an after this. After you lose it all. After the bankruptcy. After you lose the home. After the drug addiction. After the divorce. After the loss of the loved one. After the doctor's report. Just after. The enemy starts whispering checkmate. Just know. Your king has one more move. And after all that devastation, after all that devastation that Job encountered, you read, you read what he went through, the pain, the heartache, the, the just the, after all of that, blessing flowed in his life. The king had another move. His family, was rebuilt and started anew. The king had another move. His health was restored. The king had another move. And you know, the Bible says it, read it in, in, there in chapter 42, that he lived 140 more years. See, he had a whole lot more in his life coming after this. That he saw, the Bible says, his children be born unto the fourth generation that there was more to his life after than before the war went, before the, the terrible, awful things that happened to him. Listen, friend, the courage to continue will develop God's power within you. You just gotta stay in the game. I, I Listen, when you're going through hell, don't stop to complain about the smell of sulfur. You know what I'm saying? But some people resist being made whole because the tension in their life brings attention. Listen. Keep walking. That's not the kind of attention you're really looking for. Keep walking. Keep moving. Keep your head in what you're going through. And remind yourself that you're going through it. Go through it. Get through it. Go through it so you can get past it. Because with every step you take in the midst of the fire, it is a confession of faith that God has more for you after this. That there's more life after this. That some of life's most difficult moments, difficult seasons, often lead to, to beautiful destinations. If God can still work on it, that you, then you can't quit on it. You can't quit on it. We love to sing about how God's working. And that's great. He is. But it also means you can't quit on it. Your king has another move. You gotta stay in there. And the question isn't, am I gonna make it? I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I don't know if I'm gonna get through this. The question should be, what is God going to do in my life after this? After this, after I get through this thing, after I get through this sickness, after I get through this pain, after I get through this struggle, what is God going to do in my life after this? That should be the question. Because you can live, friend. You can live and have a great life after the crisis. We can live and have a great life after pandemic and loss. You can, you can live and enjoy a flourishing life with Jesus after your moral failure. You can, you can live and have life after you walk through the, that great suffering and loss. And at every time the enemy or life in general wants to whisper checkmate at you, you may not see it. You don't know how he's going to do it. You don't know exactly when he's going to do it. But just know your king has one more move. 
that even if the grave gets a hold of you, you, the grave can't even hold your body down. And I know some pains run deep. Maybe you feel like that today. Where it's hard to see, hard to envision the other side of after this. You've got no more moves. And the enemy is whispering big time in your ears. Check me. Whispering in your ears. Things will never be the same. Whispering in your ears. You'll never get over this. Whispering in your ears. You'll never get past this. Whispering in your ears. You'll deal with this for the rest of your life. Whispering in your ears. You'll never be able to move on. Whispering in your ears. God's forsaken you. Whispering in your ears. You deserve this heartache. Whispering in your ears. You deserve it. You're a failure. Whispering in your ears. You'll never really have joy. So why don't you just tip the pieces over. Give up. Give up the game. Give it. You'll never really have hope. You'll never really have peace and stability. You'll never really have that, that sense of grace and mercy. Friend, our Bible says that victory does not rest in how well we play life's game. It says victory rests with the king. You can prep your horse all day long, but victory is God's. No wisdom, no insight, no plan can succeed against the king. What does, what does the word say? It says, give, give thought to your ways. Thought and ways, thinking and doing, mind and action. Can I give you, can I give you a piece of, this is just free now. Sometimes we got to interrupt those, that quiet wrong thinking with loud truth speaking. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just, you got to interrupt that, that stream of negative and that stream of oppressive thoughts running through your mind and just speak and interrupt it. It, you can't help but interrupt it by getting out God's word and out loud speaking truth because there's power in speaking the king's word. There's power here, friend. Some of you are looking at the chessboard of your life and you're wondering what the next move is. Well, where's your king? You've tried to play it on your own and now you're pinned down but it doesn't mean it's over. There is a king who always has one more move. Interrupt that, interrupt that wrong thinking with some truth speaking. That's why, that's why I love God's word so much. I like the preaching word and I love listening to preachers too, but there's nothing like getting in and reading things like Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God shall lift up a standard against them. There's power in the king's word. You read Psalms 35 where it says, his anger may last for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. That's my king that weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. After this, yeah, yeah, you're weeping and and you're crying and and you have every right to be, but morning's coming. There is an after this. Ephesians chapter six tells us, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil. You know what that means? That means flaming arrows are coming your way. But you grab that shield of faith. Fiercely stay faithful. Your king has another move. And he'll get you right where you need to be. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. 
Jesus is the king that never runs out of moves. The question is, will you continue on? Maybe you're doing everything right. Your king has another room. Maybe you've been making mistake after mistake. Your king has another room. Maybe you're walking through the valley in the shadow of death. But have no fear. Your king, shepherd, has another move. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray now. Father, that you would begin to move and touch every heart today that in one ear may be hearing the whispers of life and the enemy say checkmate. But I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you begin to breathe words of life, that they would hear your call, that they would sense that you are on the scene, that you have not deserted them, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that just because it looks dark doesn't mean that if we just lift up our eyes to the hills, we would see where the light's coming from. And I pray today for all those who may be struggling, struggling with inside forces at work in their mind, outside forces trying to set themselves against them or just walking through hardship. God, I pray they get a glimpse of what's after this. Pray now that you would deposit some sight, some perspective, that there is life after this. Whatever this is, you've got more ahead of them, better ahead of them, greater things ahead of them than where they're at right now and even what they've been through. And I pray faith would rise. again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you, maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.